The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome Welcome, to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be be brave, and be fearless, let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. Today I have Isak Munoz, who is the Senior Business Consultant in the Customer Insights Group for Southwest Airlines. Welcome, Isak. Time to welcome this week's Data Guru. Good morning. Thanks for joining me today. I know it's early for you. I appreciate it. I know everybody is always so curious about people's roles within these beautiful, large branded companies. What do you specifically do at Southwest Airlines? I am part of the marketing team, or we are housed in the marketing team. My team is called Customer Insights. We are under Customer Intelligence. And under the Customer Intelligence team, you have advanced data analytics, and then you have the customer insights. I am part of the customer insights team. And within the customer insights team, we have multiple roles. It depends on who you ask. But my job is to do primary research and then come back to the company and do become a consultant, if you will. And if I may add really quick, we actually have been in this role, if you will. We were created about 10 years ago or so. And it's a very innovative move, if you will, because we were trying to become more research consultants rather than just outsourcing everything. Interesting. So when you talk about it being innovative, is it that you've evolved the function from not just being research, but more consultative, understanding the business issues and really linking the results of the research to driving actionable decisions? Is that the appropriate way to interpret what you're saying? Yeah, that's a good way to interpret that. The other way that I was thinking of innovative was for a low fare airline and a low cost airline, if you will. One of our missions was to make sure that everything that we do is representative of the customer, right? Everything that we do is received well by the customer. And so in order for us to be able to do that, rather than just going out there and trying new things and then taking them back, we decided to take the approach of let's actually do research. Let's talk to the customer. Let's go out there and see what they have to say. Let's see what they, what they like, what they don't like. And so then that way, we started doing research, we evaluated, and then we came back and launched whatever tactic we were going to do. So it was better received by the customer. And it was, I don't want to say that it was a way of better managing our budget, but it also happened to affect the way we do business, which is why we have been profitable. Not that we are the reason why we're profitable. It's a company-wide initiative, but it's one of the reasons why our marketing is so on point. So it sounds like research is not a optional element. It is integrated into the process for go-to-market. Yes, that's very well said. That's refreshing. That's nice that research plays such an important role in the success of the brand and the company overall. So tell me, what are some of the challenges that you have in your role? Maybe it's not the challenge, but the area that you really are trying to figure out as it relates to understanding the consumer or the customer. Yeah, that's a really good question. I love the idea of thinking of challenges because as a consultant within the company, we're always thinking about how can we solve one of the big issues that we have going on. And when it comes to marrying research and insight, if you will, one of the spaces that we have spent quite a bit of time is sending different channels 
and the different touch points that affect consumer behavior. And I know that this is not new news, and there are a lot of companies and research partners that are trying to tell us, but we can tell you exactly when they click, exactly when they interact with this. But what is interesting and what we've noticed is that in the customer journey, you know, we're all very different. And so you may be inspired by an ad, but then you're not planning on traveling for the next six months. Or you may be planning on traveling in the next two weeks, and it, it was based on a necessity. Right. that you just needed to actually go out there and mm -hmm. start searching. And so one of the challenges is trying to understand how each touch point play a role and uh, plays a role and then trying to really see the influence that marketing and people play a role, especially in today's environment. And one last thing that I'll say is that, you know, you have eye tracking, you have biometrics, you have survey research, you have ethnographies, and all of these types of research are beautiful. And even all that research doesn't necessarily help remove, it assuages or it appeases the way we go to market, right. but it doesn't assuage the challenge. But anyway, that's one of the things that I would say. So it's really understanding that time when a person decides to fly and then understanding all the touch points until they actually buy or purchase. Yes. If I may add really quick, it's something outside of, I think if somebody were to hear that, they would immediately go to, oh, well, you just need a media mix optimization. It's not just that because those are evaluating the channel very quite literally. The way I mean it is trying to really bring in the customer and not just basing it on patterns of behavior. Because I think we need to understand, there's a quote in a book by Malcolm Gladwell that, you know, how we have evolved, we need to understand cancer, but we need to understand my cancer because my cancer is different than your cancer. And so we need to understand how the, our different touch points affect each one of us. Very interesting. And so it sounds like, yes, there's a ton of metrics and a ton of data that gives you patterns, but it's understanding the psychology of the customer and understanding how those touch points impact them as it relates to thinking of flying and then ultimately purchasing the flight and, and then being on that journey. Yes. I agree. It sounds like an amazing opportunity, but it sounds like a lot of work as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I, I will say, so we're, we're a small team and we're always busy, you know, but you bring up a good point because one of the things that five, maybe 10 years ago, people would be confused by what our role would be doing. Right. And think about, you know, in advertising agencies, account planners, if you go back maybe 30 years, 40 years, you know, when, when, the, when the role was created, People were a little confused. Is it a creative strategist? Is it a brand strategist? But now, in all advertising agencies, account planners are such a part of the role. It's the same idea with customer insights. Right now, people are looking into us and saying, wait, we need to include you guys, not just from a research standpoint, but from the wealth of, in quotes, knowledge that you bring from the different pieces of research and different product owners you work with that can help my project. So it is a lot of work. It's also really encouraging to see that this role is not going away. I totally agree. You guys hold the knowledge and the understanding of the customer, the interactions with the brand, which is really exciting. You mentioned try different methodologies of research, and I would love to get some feedback in terms of some of those newer methodologies of how they've worked for you and how do they fit into your frame of thinking when you are doing research, such as biometrics or eye tracking. Yeah, definitely. So we have tried multiple methodologies. There was a presentation I went about maybe a year or two years ago, and it was a Nielsen presentation. And it was an aggregate of if you do all this research, you will have a 85%. I mean, I'm, I'm making up the number, but it was very high. Like It was like high 70s predictability on how the, on how the person is going to respond to a so stimuli tested. 
And it was a combination of biometrics. It was uh, eye tracking and survey. And I think I may be missing one of the methodologies. And then survey accounted for about 20% of that 80% or 20 points out of those 80 points, if you will. And so what was interesting to me to hear was, huh, of course, so there's even with all the research that you have, nobody is 100% predictable. Mm-hmm. One, that was interesting. And I was like, okay, so how can we apply this? Because I said earlier, we're a low fare, low cost airline. So everything that we do, we have the customer in mind because the customer in theory, right, is paying for this research to have a better product. So we have to make sure that we are Whenever we have a new research product or project, when we take it out to our managing director or to our CMO and they are going to approve, they need to make sure that we are going to do something with it. So I say all that because research, especially in the biometric area and the neurofeedback is very expensive Mm -hmm. and it's still expensive. So there are some companies out there that are trying to broaden it and have our broaden the reach. Now they've done a good job. I'll tell you one that I have enjoyed quite a bit the eye tracking i think eye tracking is coming a long way and it's different than when you let's say let's let's talk about advertising for a second when you're testing a 30 second ad right i'll use this example because i'm sure that people in the podcast will know what i'm talking about the usa today and they track you know the positive and negative emotions during the super bowl ad and so you have a little bit of a dial and you go up and down up and down up and down it is a reaction so that's, that's good. That's a good start. But it's still, there's still a lot of the human, in quotes, behavior, if you will, like unbiased behavior. Like you just, I mean, sorry, biased behavior. You just, you're, you're dialing a little bit more than you intended because you by default comparing. When you're doing eye tracking, eye tracking is truly just an involuntary reaction to something that is catching your eye. Now, when you talk about research, and this is where some of the challenges happen, people will be like, well, yeah, you know, sex sells. And if you have you know, an attractive person, you're going to react more, you should be more in the middle. So you have to take those things in consideration. But what I like about eye tracking, and so I digress, what I like (laughs) about eye tracking, and there's this company that is doing a very good job, and I'll share the company with you. It's it's called Sentient, and they have done a good job. but, But what I like about them is that they've been able to leverage the technology that we already have in our hands, our phones, our computers, and use that camera to be able to track how you are interacting with an ad and therefore making it less expensive because you're using more people, right? Now, it's not as accurate as if you were going to go to a lab and then just be controlled and then have, you only test 20 people, but it's highly controlled versus now you have 300 people using their cameras mm-hmm. and they do a good job. So that's one technology that I have really enjoyed and it has been helpful, especially with our advertising. We've tried that a couple of times and, and it's been quite nice to see the things that people react to and one of them being our logo, which was updated about four or five years ago to a heart. I like your, your comment that it's involuntary. It's really natural behavior that eye tracking captures. It's not self-reported from somebody who doesn't have to actually think about giving the response. It's just captured based on natural behavior. Yes. And so... And- if I may, I sure. still love surveys. I love that we are have the capability to to do quick surveys and to do long surveys. I think surveys play a very important role. I think one of the things that we as people who spend time in insights and research is, are we asking the right questions? Are we using the right methodology? And so just because eye tracking is sexy, doesn't mean that you ha- that's where you have to go. And just because surveys are in quotes old school, doesn't mean that that's bad. And so I think that's something that we have to just remind ourselves as we are Uh, thinking about the next project or the next thing to launch. You make a good point. I think there's methodologies that are appropriate for the type of research or learning that you want to capture and one size does not fit all. 
So let's switch gears a little bit. I know that you've written, you're a published author, you've written lots of articles and contributed in publications. And the one that really caught my eye was the Hispanic Marketing, A Cultural Perspective. It's titled Southwest Airlines Lands in Puerto Rico. Tell us a little bit about that article and what people can glean from that. Yeah, so the Hispanic market is it's a very important, but it's also a very interesting market within the state. And I say within the state because that's the, because we label um, Hispanics in the United States, right? I mean, you go to Mexico, we're Mexicans, you know, and so so when we were thinking about expanding to Puerto Rico, it was in conjunction with the acquisition of AirTran. AirTran is a, was a low-cost carrier, and I say was because we acquired them. Sure. It was a low-cost carrier established in Atlanta. So one of the routes that AirTran was flying was Puerto Rico. So it was obviously part of our CEO strategy to make sure that we, in quotes, flew internationally, and one of the things was to go through AirTran. Now, we had done marketing in the state with Hispanics in Texas, right, which is more Mexican heavy, if you will. We have done a little bit of marketing in the East Coast, especially in Florida, which is more Cuban based. But when you go to Puerto Rico, I mean, they're part of the state. Right. And so they feel like, you know, like they, they're like, you know, we are 100 percent American. And when you're talking to them in English and in a certain type of English, like I hear you, but actually I, I'm also Latino. So our marketing was very purposeful. And so we partnered with a local agency we did local activations. We changed the type of, in quotes, Spanish we were going to be using. We did it more uh, Boricua. We needed to make sure that it was really understood and, and felt. And it was actually, it did, it did a very good job. And so after a couple of years of launching, that market was performing very, very well. But it was because we were very purposeful about that market. And so that's what we're trying to do. How do you approach Hispanic marketing in the U.S.? Is it regionally very different given the heritage of people in a particular location? So Hispanic marketing in Texas compared to Hispanic marketing in New York versus California. How do you fit that into your thinking as it relates to marketing and uh, marketing research? Yes, regionally, it varies quite a bit. As you mentioned, if you go to the West Coast, it will skew Hispanic. Okay. Uh, if you go to Texas, also Mexican. But then if you go to the Northeast, you'll have, you know, Puerto Rico influence. If you go to the, to the Florida area, you're going to have, like I was saying earlier, you know, you have a lot of influence from Cuba, Cuba and right. from, you know, like even now Costa Rica is growing quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And so the one message fits all is no longer an approach. And honestly, it's no longer, people are not expecting that because now we have the technology and now we have the reach to be able to understand that you are in this country for a different reason and that you speak English perhaps at work, but your Spanish may be different when you're with your kids and your Spanish may be different when you're with your partner or your Spanish will be different when you are with your friends. Hmm. And so given that we are in such a diverse market, right, even though you may have friends that are, you know, Cuban, Mexican, you know, American, black, Asian, like it's just, it's truly diverse. Hmm. This sort of amalgamation of cultures affects the way we do one, research, but two, marketing. And so the way we have approached research is trying to understand moving away just from acculturation or assimilation, right? We're trying to understand cultural influencers, which affect everybody. Uh, there was a documentary on HBO that was talking about the, the Latino influence in the United States. Right. And it does a very good job because it talks about music, right? How has music influenced the United States? And it talks about it for about, you know, it's about an hour and 15 minute documentary. We are we're trying to take that approach. We're not trying to say, Tell me about yourself, but it's tell me about your environment, 
that's the way we're approaching research. That's the way we're approaching marketing because that's going to be the best kind of reach rather than just you tell me the language you prefer, which is the research within Hispanic or the segmentation for Hispanics that was used 15 years ago. And that's no longer applicable. That's a great point because I know still there's many people who measure kind of the level of acculturation as a way to segment the market and communicate accordingly. But what you say makes total sense. It's really about the influences to specific people and to be able to understand how those influencers impact their, I don't want to say acculturation, but their kind of view of taking in marketing messages and relationships with brands. Yes, I agree. I think it's, it, don't get me wrong, and acculturation is an important part of segmentation. Right. And it is an important part of connecting and understanding people. Unless you make acculturation, and, and, and I'm okay with this, creating a model of acculturation that just, that expands outside of the language that you dream, the language that you speak, the language that you watch TV, and truly saying the cultural influencers that make you who you are, then we can label it acculturation. Yeah, I completely agree yes. with Isaac, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure and I've learned a lot. So thank you for sharing so much of your knowledge with our listeners. Gosh, thank you so <laughs> much for including me into the podcast. I'm a fan. Thank you so much. Thank, for- you. thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.datagurusepodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusepodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.